Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, is the title of this message. God dwells and lives with his people. And know this, that those of you who've been grafted in from the nations are grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. So this applies to you also. You true sons and daughters of Abraham, born from another mother, but through your faith, just as Abraham, you've been grafted in and believing in the one seed that came from a woman from Hava would crush Hasatan's head, the serpent. So turn with me now to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, and we'll begin in verse 33. Adonai said to Moshe, tell the people of Israel on the 15th day of the seventh month, the month of Tishri is to be a feast of Sukkot tabernacles and booths for seven days to the Lord. Think about that. How often we have gone on vacation for seven days, but just think about the one who's now is there with us, our Messiah. And it's not just for seven days. It's through, for all, throughout all eternity. And this speaks to the millennial reign of Messiah on this earth because he's gonna, he is the son of David and he will rule and reign from David's throne upon this earth for 1,000 years. So we have all the types and the shadows that are all in here. Let's continue with what the scripture says. So on the first day, there is to be a holy convocation. That means the gathering. You're, you're not to do any kind of ordinary work. For seven days, you were to bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. Those were those sacrifices. And on the eighth day, you are to have a holy convocation and bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. It is a day of public assembly. And do not any kind of ordinary work. Wait a second. second. Didn't the Lord say that, the, that this Feast of Tabernacles was supposed to last for seven days? But all of a sudden here, he adds an eighth day. Is this a contradiction in scripture? Absolutely not. Because here's a day that's added that's not even given a name. And the Lord says, make this as a holy convocation. Think of the millennium. When the millennium ends, what begins? For believers in Messiah, both Jews and Gentiles. Eternity begins. So let's look closer to what the scripture says. Let's now turn to the book of Deuteronomy. This is a second telling of the Lord's feasts so that we'll get a clear understanding of what was just shared with you. So here we are on Deuteronomy. In the Hebrew is Davarim chapter 16, beginning at verses 13 through 17. And this is what it says here. You are to keep the festival of Sukkot. Some Bible translations, it says the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and the wine press. Rejoice at the festival, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female slaves, the Levim, that is the Levites, 
and the foreigners and the orphans and the widows living among you. Now you may be wondering, why is he kind of set aside the Levites? Well, you see, they were given cities and they were giving small portions of land. But the abundance of what the Lord gave the other 11 tribes of Israel, they were to give tithes to the Levites to support them because their work was to serve in the Mishkan, later the temple, and to deal with the morning and the evening sacrifices. They had to do all those other things. I'm leaving a lot of things out because of our time. And so there was a provision for them. Notice it says there, for the widows and orphans who are living among you. It does not specify that they are Jewish orphans or Jewish widows. Continuing here. Seven days you were to keep the festival for Adonai your God. Did you notice there? It says twice seven days, but it doesn't mention an eighth day. So let us continue. Seven days you are to keep the festival for Adonai your God in a place Adonai your God will choose because Adonai your God will bless you in all your crops and in all your work so that you will be what? You'll be full of joy, rejoicing in the Lord's provision. We as believers in Messiah, both Jews and Gentiles, are we rejoicing in the Lord's provision? Or are we complaining that it's not enough? Doesn't, don't you know that he knows exactly what we need? And anything beyond that? I can testify that it's of my own flesh. It's my wants and desires, but the Lord knows what I need and gives that to me abundantly. So let us continue. Three times a year, all your men are to appear in the presence of Adonai, your God in the place where he will choose. Is he in charge? Are we not supposed to follow his commandments and obey his word and his voice? Absolutely. At the festival of Matzah, at the festival of Shavuot, at the festival of Sukkot. So those were the three main Moedim required times where Jewish men and if they were married, they'd bring their families to stand before the Lord and bring an offering of thanksgiving to him. Continuing. They are not to show up before the Lord empty-handed, but every man is to give what he can. Notice the Lord hasn't said a certain amount because they're to give what? They're to tithe from that provision with glad, joyful hearts. Continuing here. They're to not show up before the Lord empty-handed, but every man is to give what he can in accordance with the blessing Adonai your God has given you. So now let us turn back to Leviticus chapter 23, and we're going to continue in verse number 37. So here's that extra day, this eighth day that has been added by the Lord, but he doesn't name it per se. And it's passed at the very end of this celebration of Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths. Because it's a transition that we're to come before the Lord. Because this is a brand new 
period in time for both Israel at that time to wait in anticipation of what the Lord had next. Verse 37. These are the designated times of Adonai that you are to proclaim as holy convocations and bring an offering made by fire, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice, and a drink offerings, each its own day. Think about that. That's all seven days. Besides the Sabbaths of Adonai, your gifts and all your vows and all your voluntary offerings that you give to Adonai. But on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered the produce of the land, you are to observe the festival of Adonai for seven days. The first day is to be a, be a complete rest and the eighth day a complete rest. But wait a minute. He said only to do the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days. So he's speaking of something new in the future. But it's also supposed to be a holy convocation. I believe that this is a step from the end of the millennial reign of Messiah on this earth to the next step, which lasts forever, which is eternity. So let's continue here. Verse number 40. Remember that eighth day in the latter portion there of that verse 39, the eighth day is to be a day of complete rest. Now he goes back here on verse number 40. On the first day, you're to take choice fruit, palm fronds. I'm pointing to the, those of you who are listening on the podcast. You cannot see this because so we don't have video. I'm pointing to the, the, uh, to the palm fronds here. And you're to take thick branches of river willows. Here we have the willow, willows up here. And you're to celebrate in the presence of Adonai for four for seven days. You are to observe it as a feast of Adonai seven days in a year. It is to be what? A permanent regulation. Generation from generation to keep it in the seventh month, the seventh month of Tishri. You are to what? You are to now live in the sukkah, the tabernacle, the booth for seven days. Every citizen of Israel is to live in the sukkah so that every generation after generation of you will know that I made the people of Israel live in the sukkah when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Adonai, your God. And what did Egypt symbolize? But the world system. We are in this world, but the Lord wants us to come out of it. But we are his light and his representation to the people living in this world. That's God's provision for us right now. We are his testimony, his witness. So let us continue. Verse number 44. Thus Moshe announced to the people of Israel the designated times of Adonai. So this is the last of the seven. So that the fall season is considered the time, I'm now leaving the scripture, now we're going to the commentary. Some people say, we don't know where you're going from scripture to the commentary, 
And there's so many different translations in the Bibles, and we get kind of lost. So I'm trying to discipline myself to let you know when I go more into commentary here. So the fall season is considered the time of the high holy days for the Jewish community. Three major holy days occur in the first 19 days of the biblical month of Tishri, which is normally in the months of September through October. They are Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, which we've just celebrated, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Covering, and this holy day season, which ends with eight days of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Wait a second, Rabbi. We know that the Feast of Tabernacles is only supposed to be seven days. Yes, but the Lord added an additional day for them to wait in anticipation for the new heavens and the new earth and for eternity to begin. Let's continue here. As with other days, the name of this holy day tells its purpose. Essentially, it is twofold. First, being related to the fall harvest, as Vaikra Leviticus teaches, Sukkot was to be a time of bringing in the latter harvest. It is, in other words, the Jewish Thanksgiving. So you know where the pilgrims came up with this idea of Thanksgiving? They were great students of the Hebrew scriptures. And they borrowed from the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths. And if you read the original letters of those that invited the native peoples here, and they brought stuff, and they had a time of feasting, a time of fellowship. Because their heart's desire was to be able to live in a country where they could live and walk in God's provision and not be pressed on by their government. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. And neither are we. But we still need to show the light and the hope of Messiah that's in us. A secondary meaning is that this holy day is found in the command to dwell in booths as a memorial of Israel's wilderness experience. To expand the theme of this special historical event, we might best summarize Sukkot as the word as habitation. God dwelling in the midst of his people. We know that from the Torah that God dwelt with his people in their 40-year wilderness camping trip think about that and there was a time when the Lord just wanted to wipe out the whole nation of Israel and start over just with Moshe but Moshe said I don't want any, any, any part of that unless you go with us we'll just remain here because Moshe knew this Moses knew this Without the presence of the Lord, what's the point of life? He had lived by his own ways and means prior. He was rescued out of Egypt. He was brought back as a deliverer, as a redeemer. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. But he knew that he could not lead God's people if not God was there in the midst of them, leading and guiding them, and them walking in his provision. 
So those of us who are struggling right now with our government and all the changes in our life, what is our focus to be on? Does Messiah inhabit the throne of our hearts? And are we walking in his provision? And if the provision that we desire is not there, do we look at him and say to him, thank you? I'm willing to walk in your provision. And even if I lay down my life as a holy and living sacrifice for the kingdom of God, so be it. Because absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Praise God, he's called us to this such high calling. Blessed be to his holy name. So we know that the Torah that God dwelt with his people in their 40-year wilderness camping trip. Yet as we camp in boots today, we should be reminded of the same faithful God watches over our lives. No matter what the government changes, don't worry. Because who's your provision? Who do you live for? Is it for yourself? Or is it for him, the lover of your soul? Praise be to God. With such meaningful things, no wonder Sukkot is known as the Zamam Shmi Kat Enu, the time of great rejoicing. Now let's look at the traditional Jewish observance. The Torah stipulates that the 15th of the Jewish month, Tishri, as a time when the Jewish people are to begin dwelling in the sukkah, singular, the booth, and celebrating Abba Father God's provision. This is a holy day that is so joyful that traditional Jews don't even wait for the 15th of Tishri to come, which is tonight, to construct their sukkah. Many begin the construction five days earlier, immediately after the close of Yom Kippur. Now the construction of the sukkah can be both challenging and a whole lot of fun for the whole family. The Bible gives a rather general command to build the sukkah. But the rabbis, we have to take all what they say, suggest with what? A grain of salt, because sometimes it's not biblical. It's their own opinion, right? Right. So let us continue. And so here they give some added, greater added details. Essentially, it was to be a temporary hut in which one is to live instead of one's permanent house. At the very least, Jews are expected to eat some of their meals in the sukkah as a symbol of dwelling in it. Because it is a temporary structure, the sukkah appears to be flimsy, just like our bodies. My body is not the same body when I was 18 years old. It's wearing out. And one day, you and I are going to get a glorified body that will never wear out. So it is built, built outside of that main structure. And it must have at least three walls, which can be of any material. You can use wood, brick, or even a tarp. If the booth is constructed next to the house, it may incorporate one or even more walls as its own, kind of like a lean-to. The most important part of the sukkah construction is a roof. 
the covering for the roof, which is called shihach, can be anything that grows from the ground, such as branches, two by fours, and I know two by fours don't grow out of the ground naturally, because I'm sure if Tim could speak right now, he'd say, oh, Rabbi Frank, there you go again. There's not a, a farmers that, that harvest a two by fours, by fours or two by sixes or two by tens or twelves, correct. And so these items can be used to build this sukkah. And so the roof, and it's to emphasize their temporary status. The roof is arranged so that the stars can be seen through on a clear night. And I've learned that if you don't put a little plastic up there, and then you put all your branches on top, if it starts to rain, you're going to get wet. Because on occasion when it's good weather, I'll actually sleep out there. And my dog at our place, where I'm in the process of setting up my sukkah, I'm almost completed, she likes to come out there and sit with me, and I have a nice fire ring and a nice fire going. My wife will come out for maybe an hour or two, you know, and I read the scriptures out there. I have some meals out there. My wife joins me from time to time. And so it's, 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 a, it's a time, you know, celebrating the presence of the Lord. And guess what? I leave my phone in the house. There's no laptop. It's like, oh, my goodness. This is good. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Continuing here. Back to the message. All right. So, once the sukkah is completed, the children contribute with their artwork. They'll draw pictures of grapes. Remember as a kid, I remember all those kids eating the paste in elementary school. Some kids, they'd bring spoons, plastic spoons. The teachers say, hey, they'd take their spoons away. And I was thinking, they're nuts. Oh, I tried a little bit once on my finger under my tongue. It was terrible. I just couldn't help. But some kids, uh, that's, everyone has different tastes, right? And so back to the message. And so kids, they, they, they bring fruit. You can tie it up with string. Or there's a lot of other gourds, you know, during this time and season to decorate on the inside. And so there's no requirements on that. So the sukkah has to be big enough to house at least one person, but preferably it should be able to hold a table for meals. So if the climate is good enough, then you can actually stay in your sukkah. Because there's some tight nights where my Newfoundland dog, she cuddles close to me, and we stay, we stay pretty warm. Once the sukkah is built, the holy day has arrived. There are other customs incorporated into the celebration, as most other Jewish holy days. Feast of the Lord. The celebration starts when? At sundown of the night before, with a festive meal. The table is set with the traditional candlesticks and the best dinnerware. An exception sometimes is made because of the sukkah. Like when you guys go camping, you bring your crystal, you bring your best china. No, you bring other stuff, things that don't break. If they break, no worries. Continuing back to the message. So the table is there set with the two traditional candlesticks, the best dinnerware. An exception sometimes is made with the sukkah since many Jew Jewish people eat their meals out in the sukkah. In such cases, a more primitive setup is as a reminder of camping in the wilderness during the Sinai. 
In either case, the Kiddush, which we did over the grape juice, is chanted over the sweet wine. Also, the challah bread is blessed and it's shared at the table. Each evening of the eight-day festival, wait a second, Rabbi Frank, is not Sukkot to be seven days? Absolutely, but we have that added day, do we not? It just is at the very end. A special blessing is also said over the lulav, the palm branch, which we did earlier before we did the liturgy. So going forward here, and for each of these festival days, and so we have the lulav, which is the palm branch, the date palm. Next, we have the hadas, which is three uh, branches of the myrtle. The next one is the arav, which is the willow. They form what is called the four species. They are wrapped together in order to be handheld for the waving in each direction, the north, the south, the east, and the west, which I mentioned before. Some Jewish communities, they do as we did, where it's forward, right, back, left, up, and down. Okay, and some do it to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Everyone's different on that, and that's fine. So continuing here with this message. So the rabbis have made now some spiritual applications. These rabbis, remember, we have to be careful, because it could be their opinion. So these are the things that they say that these four species represent. So it is taught that each of these four species represents a different kind of person. The etrog, which is called the citron. Okay, this one here, which tastes sweet and is a, has a delightful aroma. It represents a person with knowledge of the Torah and good deeds. The next one is our palm frond. Remember, the date palms. There. And so with this one here, the lulav, which comes from the date palm, has a fruit that tastes sweet. Does anyone like dates here? I don't mean asking a guy or girl out for a date, but, but you know, literal, the fruit. And to know this, that dates is actually what the Jewish people make honey out of. It's from the, the date plant. And that's why their honey is so delicious. Continuing here. And so this uh, lulav, palm branch, palm branch, which comes from the date palm, has a fruit that tastes sweet, yet has no fragrance. Hence, some people have knowledge, but no good deeds. Next one is a three branch, which is called the hadas. The myrtle is just the opposite, having nice fragrance, yet no taste. In other words, good deeds without true knowledge. And lastly, we have the willow. And that's this one right here. This is called the Arav. Since, since it possesses neither taste nor smell, represents the person who lacks both knowledge and deeds. Have you ever met anybody like that? I have. Have you ever been that person at times? So perhaps this can serve as a reminder that faith and trust without works is what? Dead. And where's that recorded in the scripture? But in the book of Yaakov, Jacob James, 2, chapter 17. Thus, faith 
or trust by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. And that's basically what Jacob teaches through that letter. Isn't it amazing we're starting that? You just did that yesterday, the book of Yaakov. Traditional Jewish observance of Sukkot centers on the building of the sukkah and blessing of the lulav with the etrog. It should be noted that, as with other holy days, the synagogue plays a also vital role. Many synagogues build a community sukkah to enable all worshipers to experience this great symbol of the sukkah. If you'd like to see it, just travel with me 134 miles north, and you, you can uh, enjoy it. Next year, hopefully, we'll be able to put one up here so everyone can enjoy in this vicinity. But if you'd like to come to visit, I love visitors. Continuing here. The experience now of the great symbol of Sukkot. Holy Day services are held on the first and the seventh days as stipulated by the Torah. Because the Sukkot Feast of Tabernacles is a time of great joy, there are various processionals in which the congregants march around the aisles. So in the synagogues, everyone would have this and they would be raising it up to the Lord and saying those words, Lord, save us. So we'll continue here. The processionals in which the, cart, the congregates march around the aisles, waving the lulavs, and they're chanting this. Turn with me now quickly to Psalms 118. Give thanks to Adonai for his good, for his grace continues forever. Now let, let Israel say his grace continues forever. Now let the house of Aharon say his grace continues forever. Now let those who fear Adonai say his grace continues forever. From my being hemmed in, I called on Yah. And who are they speaking of? But the Lord himself. He answered and he gave me more room. With Adonai on my side, I fear nothing. What can a human beings do to me? With Adonai on my side as my help, I will look with triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in Adonai than trust in human beings. Better to take uh, refuge in Adonai than to put one's trust in princes. The nations all around me, in the name of Adonai, I cut them down. They surround me on every side. In the name of Adonai, I cut them down. They surround me like bees, but were extinguished as quickly as fire and thorns. In the name of Adonai, I cut them down. You pushed me hard to make me fall, but Adonai helped me. Yah is my strength, my song, and he has become my salvation. And what is that word in the original Hebrew? He has become my Yeshua. We are saved only in and through Yeshua. The sound of rejoicing and victory is heard in the tents of the righteous. Where are they dwelling? In the sukkah. Our earthly bodies, they are but mere tents. That's my commentary. I, I pushed in there. Adonai's right hand struck powerfully. Adonai's right hand raised in triumph. Adonai's right hand struck powerfully. I do not die. No, I will live. Hear that? As a believer, death is not eternal, but life is. 
I do not die, no, I live, and proclaim the good deeds of Yah. Yah disciplined me severely. Isn't it great to have a loving Heavenly Father that disciplines us? Yes and amen. But did not hand me over to death. Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter, enter them and thank Yah. This is the gate of Adonai. The righteous can enter it. I am thanking you because you answered me. You became my salvation. You became my Yeshua. The very rock that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Is that not familiar to us? This has come from Adonai, and in eyes, it's amazing. This is the day Adonai has made, a day of rejoicing and being glad. Praise Adonai, save us. Praise Adonai, rescue us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. We bless you from the house of Adonai. Adonai is God, he gives us light. Join in the pilgrim festival with branches all the way to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I thank you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to Adonai for he is good, for his grace continues forever. So that's what they were sharing and saying in the synagogues. Now let us quickly look at Sukkot in the Brit Hadishah, the New Testament. Since Sukkot has so many rich spiritual lessons associated with it, we would expect to find some important references of it in the Brit Hadishah. Not far in the good news accounts of the life of Yeshua, we find the first powerful reference of, to Sukkot tabernacles. As the apostle Yohanan John relates this special background of the Messiah, he openly declares the divine nature of Yeshua. The word was not only was with God in the beginning, but this word is the very manifestation of Abba, Father God himself. Turn with me to Yohanan John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. All things came through him, and without him nothing was ever, nothing made had been. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not suppressed it. This was true light, which give light to everyone entering the world. He was in the world, and the world came to be through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own homeland, yet his own people did not receive him. But to many as did receive him, to those who put their trust in his person, and the power he gave the right to become the children of God. And so in commentary, Side note, this means having an intimate personal relationship with Yeshua. Not a past one, not a prayer that we prayed as a child or as a teenager or later as an adult, but this is an intimate relationship that we have with him. Just like whom? Avraham, Abraham, Yitzhak, Isaac, Yaakov, Jacob, Moshe, Moses, and David. Not because, back to the scripture, not because of bloodline, physical impulse, or human intention, but because of God. The word became a human being and lived among us. And we saw his Shekinah. And what is that? 
That's the divine presence being illuminated and glorified before us. The Shekinah of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. That's the end of the portion of the scripture there. This word, as Yohanan calls him, was manifested to the world in a very practical and tangible ways. The word became a human being and he lived with us. We saw his Shekinah, his divine presence. The Shekinah, the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Is that worth repeating? Absolutely. Because people have, they, they, they have heroes in this world. They're thinking for political uh, leaders to meet all their needs. Government is not our God. But the world system wants government to become our God. Let's continue. Yeshua of Nazareth is more than just a good rabbi or an intriguing philosopher. Yeshua is the visible manifestation and creation of God himself. Yet, did you notice the metaphor? Yeshua employs to describe his incarnation of the Messiah. The word dwelt, lived among his people in verse number 12 of 1 John the Greek word here is skene, S-K-E-N-E. Is rich word derived from the word tabernacle. In other words, as Yohanan sought to describe Messiah's first coming to his people, the most obvious picture was the holy day of Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacle and Booths. The holy day that celebrates the dwelling living God with his people. During this holy day, a koinim, a priest, he would take a pitcher down from the temple. He would go to the pool of Siloam and he would dip it in the water and he would carry it up to the temple. Crowds would be would see this and they would huge they would form huge processionals behind the koinim, dancing and singing and chanting Hillel which is praise from the book of Tehillim in Hebrew, the book of Psalms, 113 through 118. We just heard 118. As they entered the Temple Mount, for each of the first seven days of Sukkot, the processional would circle the temple altar one time. On the seventh day, Hosanna Rabbah, the great supplication, there would be seven processionals around the altar to magnify the joy. The highlight of the ceremony came when the koinim dramatically poured the water out on the altar of the temple. And this little water, because this is a huge altar, and the coals are always burning upon the altar, would not snuff it out. The response of the multitudes was so immense that the Talmud says that when, whoever has never been in Jerusalem for this ceremony has not even experienced great joy. That's found in the Talmud, Sukkah 5. Hence, it became known as Simcha Bet Hoshoiva, the time of the house of, of drawing the water. Why all the rejoicing at this water-pouring ceremony? 
Obviously, it would be more than rejoicing in the hope of future reigns for Israel. As important as that might be, the the rabbis speak of a deeper truth from the book of Yeshiahu, which is Isaiah 12.3. In regard to the ceremony, with, with joy shall you draw water from the wells of salvation. And what is that word in Hebrew? From the wells of Yeshua. You will, grow, you will draw great joy in the name of the Messiah. More than the outpouring of temporary water in Israel, the Simcha Bet HaShoeba was to be prophetically illustrate the days of the Messianic redemption, where the waters of the Ruach HaKodesh would be poured out upon the the children of Israel, Sukkah 55. God will ultimately build his habitation with his people when the kingdom is established under Messiah, when he lands on the Mount of Olives and he goes through that golden gate and he walks upon the Temple Mount. It says the Mount of Olives will be split in two and there will come a fount come up there for cleansing for, for the people of Israel. This shall all be accomplished. And this is the beginning of his millennial reign here on earth when Messiah does that. What joy this thought brought to the people's hearts. Now with this historical background, we can now more more fully appreciate the events recorded on one particular Sukkot celebration in the Brit Hadashah, found in John chapter 7, verse 37. Now on the last day, remember it starts the evening before, Hushana Rabbah, Yeshua stood and cried out. Think about that. This is the last of the seven days. And they're walking around the altar. Yeshua's uh, speaking in the temple courts. Remember, he went there for that feast. And he spoke in the temple. And then he cries out this before everyone. Yeshua stood up and cried out. If anyone is thirsty, let him keep coming to me and drinking. Whoever puts his trust in me, as the scriptures say, rivers of living water will flow out of his innermost being. Now he said this about the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit with whom, who trusted in him were to receive later. The spirit had not yet been given because Yeshua had not been glorified. He hadn't died and rose from the dead at this time. So we must remember that the coin, the coin named the priests began drawing the pitcher full of water from the pool of Siloam. Then he makes a processional. People are being excited for the last six days. And this is the last day. And there's rejoicing. Because the people of Israel believe this. When this takes place, Messiah is going to come. And he's going to set up his earthly kingdom on this earth. Israel shall be restored. The, the, the fulfillment of David's one son, whose rule and reign shall, shall be forevermore. That's what the children of Israel are waiting for to see. So continue with that, with this. So on the first day of Sukkot, and drew the last time on Hoshana Robah, the great supplication. On the seventh day of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. So now, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, lasts seven days, right? Except for the added day, the eighth day. But you know what the rabbis decided to do? Let's give it a name. The Lord didn't give it a name. And they call it 
Shemini Azaret, the eighth day of assembly. Because the Lord said, after those seven days, I want you to, re to remain in my presence because I have something new for you. I believe that's when eternity begins, at the end of the millennial reign of Messiah here on earth. So Adonai added that final day. And he says to make that a holy convocation and to remain in his presence. Imagine setting up a sukkah was in full swing. The joy of the first six days was now exuberant. And on the final day, Hoshana Rabbah, the crowds were filled with great expectation for the Messiah and the Ruach HaKodesh he would bring. At that very time, the water drawing ceremony, Yeshua made that bold proclamation. Do you truly want the living waters of the Ruach HaKodesh? Does anyone understand the true significance of the ceremony? If anyone desires the Bet Ha Sho'eva symbolizes, let him now believe in me. I am the Messiah who will pour out the Ruach HaKodesh on Israel. Yeshua of Nazareth claimed to be the promised one, according to the Jewish scriptures. So when we understand the holy day of Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, should lead us to believe, like many of the first century Jewish and Gentile believers, that Yeshua, who he claimed to be God, dwelling, living in our midst. Is Yeshua ruling and reigning from your hearts today? Is he sitting upon the throne? That Yeshua, who is claimed to be God, dwelling in our midst. What joy to experience the living waters of the Ruach HaKodesh. Yeshua seated on the throne of our hearts, as seen by the holy day of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Hag Sameach, 